Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. I was thinking about the most anxious years of the last decade, let's say, the years where the most people were the most anxious. You may have personal stories like, oh, this is the year I lost my dad or something. It was a very highly anxious year. I I get all of that. But if I was to go culture-wide, what were two years that people freaked out the most? I would point to 2016 and 2020. 2016, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, you were there. uh, 2016, People freaked out because mostly around an election, right? There was the Trump and Hillary election and and all of the stuff that swirled around about that and all the news about that and people were really worried about that and all that would happen and there was, you know, the Russians are messing with our campaigns and all this stuff and there was this whole thing. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this well, but I remember the week of that election and Trump got elected and I remember seeing people from our church just so excited that Hillary Clinton was now not going to be the president. And I remember seeing people so freaked out that Trump was going to be the president, right? And so, and both of those people were in our church, right? They're, 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 there's, a, there's a range in here on political opinion. And people were just, you know, worried. And I remember walking in the Sunday after, the Sunday morning of church after the election, and it was such a weird feeling of like, Walking in like, is this, a, are, is this a celebration or is this a funeral? Like, what, what am I walking into here? Like, are we good, fam? Like, where is everybody at? It was such a weird time. And I, I would just describe that whole time as just highly anxious. People were just anxious and afraid. Um, that was 2016, which, you know, you, and I remember people at the time saying, like, it's never been this bad, you know, this is the worst thing ever. And, and I remember thinking, even at that time, I don't think it's going to get any better than this. I think they're going to all be this bad. <laughs> this is probably just the new normal. Fast forward to 2020, we have things like COVID and George Floyd and riots and then an election on top of that and all of this stuff swirling around in 2020 was just crazy. And during that time, people lost family members. Uh, some people died, we, we, uh, which, was, which was hard, or, or they lost family members over differences of opinions or they lost friends over differences of opinions and everybody's trying to figure out this virus and what are we supposed to do and, and we lose relationships, we lose jobs. Like there was a ton of stuff flying around in 2020. I, sorry to bring you all back there, but you remember, you know, you were there. And it was a very anxious time. And if I had to say, what do those two years have in common? It's probably the fact that they were an election year. And because in those two years, I think, and this is going to sound maybe conspiracy theory or something, but there's a large organized machine that is designed to make you anxious and afraid. And I don't even think that's like debatable. There are people that their job is, if I can make you anxious and afraid, you will give money or you will vote for a solution. And so it's not a coincidence that things got kind of ramped up in those years because people were trying to make you freak out so that you would vote for their candidate or that you would buy something as a solution. It's just a psychological thing and I think it happens. And I thought about that as we sit here at the beginning of 2024. And I just wondered, what kind of nuttiness are we in store for this year? (laughs) What kind of craziness will be done in, in the name of elections or whatever to get us all to freak out? Now, at the beginning of the year, I, I, I tend to be very upbeat. 
Um, I'm very goal-oriented, and I love the end of the year, going into the next year. I'm like, all right, what's 2024 going to bring? And I, and I am upbeat about my family, about people that I know and love, that people I'm connected to in this community. I'm upbeat about this church, about what God is doing here and, and where we're headed. And, and so I'm upbeat about a whole lot of things. But when I think about uh, the whole country, I just, I'm a little less upbeat. I'm like, oh boy, election year. Like, there's going to be something crazy going on this year. And I have, I have no idea what it will be. I just know that there's probably uh, something, something coming. So I wanted to start out this year by talking about, for four weeks, what would it look like to be less anxious? What would it look like for us to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxious culture and in, in an anxious time? I think that's valuable. I think it would be worthwhile for us to discuss the ins and outs of that and how that might look. Um, because I do think it is possible to be non-anxious. So we're going to unpack that for four weeks. There's some different elements of it. I've been reading and learning about this probably since last June. I started thinking about this and started getting into it. I've been reading a lot about it and looking at the scripture. And so there's some things I want to talk about the next couple of weeks to really unpack this idea of what does it mean to be non-anxious and how can we do that well as we, so that we're ready for whatever this year holds. Uh, to start with, I want to point us to the scripture. We're going to talk about Jesus a lot, uh, but as an overarching scripture, I want to point us to the idea uh, from Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church in the city of Philippi, which is in Greece, and he writes a letter to them. And if you've never read it, Philippians, uh, read it today. It is short. It is one of the most upbeat, joyful books in the entire Bible. If you need a, like, a pick-me-up from the scriptures, Philippians is fantastic. And Philippians chapter 4, for my money, is, is not that I have money on it, but it's one of the best chapters, I think, in the whole Bible. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let me put this up on the screen because this is an overarching theme of this entire series. Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. As if it's that easy. You know, you just like, hey, if I just tell you, don't be anxious about it, you're going to be not anxious. Which, as we all know, doesn't work, Right? Don't be anxious. Don't be angry. Don't be sad. Whenever someone tells you that, you become more anxious, more angry, and more sad, right? Is typically what happens. So that him just saying, don't be anxious, doesn't quite get it for us, but he does give us somewhere to go, which we'll get into a little bit later. But he talks about prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and, and all this stuff. He gives us some things. But what I wanted you to notice, at least from the beginning of that, is the idea that Paul's telling us to not be anxious suggests to me that it is actually possible for us to not be anxious or to at least be a lot less anxious than we, than we often are. I, there is a way to dial this back. Now, this is where some of you already want to throw a flag and you want to say, Chris, I understand that other people can be less anxious, but not me. I deal with low-level anxiety. I am an anxious person. I am anxious all the time. It's always with me. It's just, it's just this unwanted person that just hangs around on me, always anxious. And to that, I would say, I get that. And there are people that are more anxious than others. There are people that probably um, deal with it, whether it's a, a nature thing, it's in something in their genetic makeup or a nurture thing, so a learned behavior over time. Um, there are people that are more anxious than others. 
regardless of how naturally anxious you may be, I would still argue that if we believe the scripture is true and we and it, that it is possible for us to be non-anxious. It is possible for be, us to dial that back. And so even for you, if you're, I'm, I'm just an anxious person, maybe this will be even extra helpful because I think there are some things that we can look at and some some um, behaviors, disciplines, habits of the mind and, and of, of our bodies that we can pick up that I think will actually really help us. So to look at someone who's non-anxious, uh, I, I want to look at Jesus as our model. And again, we want to throw a flag as so often comes up with Jesus because I'm going to say, hey, look, guys, Jesus was like super chill. He was non-anxious. And you're going to go, but he was God. Isn't that what you taught us? Like, don't you, isn't he God? If he's God, of course he's not anxious. He knows everything and everything that's going on, everything that's going to happen. Sure. But let's also consider Jesus lives in the Roman Empire as a man in the Roman Empire, he's, he's a, a Jew, so he's a minority group in Israel. In, a large, uh, in, the, in the large Roman Empire, they are dominated by Rome. It's not a great situation. He grows up in a poor part of Israel, so he grows up in poverty. So he has got all the challenges of poverty and all that goes along with that. So it's not like everything was great for him. Life expectancy is difficult at that age. There's a lot of uh, health care is not as good. There's a lot of diseases and sicknesses and, and challenges, and people die in fires and, and you know, all the stuff that goes on in the ancient world that he's dealing with. So it's not like he had no reason to be anxious. And in fact, he does get a bit anxious. If you look at at the crucifixion before he goes to the cross, he is sweating blood. So that is an anxious moment, right? But I would still say, on the whole, Jesus shows up as a non-anxious presence in the midst of a culture where there's a lot of anxiety swirling about. And I think there are some things that we can look at of how he does that that would be very valuable for us. So let me look at one incident where he is very chill in the midst of a lot of craziness. Mark chapter 4, let me read it to you. He's on a boat. Mark chapter 4 says this, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, he's with his followers, his disciples, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, a couple things here. Talk about anxiety. Um, the crowds are so much for Jesus that the only way he can get away from people rolling up on him at all times is to get into a boat because that's physically a spot to be where you can't have everybody on you. And even then, there's other boats like hanging around. Like It's like the paparazzi of, of the first century. They're just all want to be around him, right? So for him to, so if you're an introvert, especially, you're like, this sounds like the worst thing ever. Well, Jesus is like, I need to, I'm going to get away here. He gets out onto a boat. And while he's on the boat, the storm kicks up and he's with his disciples who are mostly fishermen. And so they know how this goes on this sea and they know what the storms are like. And so they see the storm is coming. The water starts to fill up the boat and the boat is going to sink and they're all going to drown. That would drive your anxiety level up, wouldn't it? I mean, if you were on that boat, wouldn't you be like, yeah, this is a, you know, we shouldn't freak out about everything, but this we should freak out about. Like this is, this is very bad. And somehow in the midst of that, Jesus is asleep on the boat, which I, I honestly, I struggle to even understand that. Like, if, there's a, if I'm on a cruise ship and there's a light drizzle, I'm seasick. I'm already like, Bleh. like, this is horrible. He, in, in the middle of a storm, is asleep in the stern of the boat. And then they wake him up, which, don't do that. Like, don't, 
let the man. Okay, so, so he's asleep, and their anxiety level goes through the roof. And they're like, teacher, we are dying. Um, at, don't you care that we're about to die? And this just brings me to an interesting idea, I think, about anxiety. When are you tempted to be most anxious? Probably when all the people around you are. Like, when everyone's freaking out, you start feeling like, I should freak out. This is the thing. Everybody, you know, it's, it's sort of the, we've talked about it before, those bumper stickers that are like, if you aren't angry, you aren't paying attention. It's sort of like that. Like, if you aren't anxious right now, you, you clearly don't realize what's going on. This election is about to be stolen, or this is the virus, or this is the, like, there's a thing. Everybody's freaking out. You should freak out. That's the message that we get. We are most tempted to be anxious when everyone else around us is. And this is the moment that everybody around Jesus is freaking out. And this is the moment he could be like, oh, you're right. This is horrible. What are we going to do? They wake him up, and they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? Fair question, I suppose. But Jesus is like as cool as the other side of the pillow. Look at, what he, look at what he does. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, so Jesus gets up in the boat and does the miraculous. And, and we, can't, we can't blow by that, right? Like he literally stands up, says to wind and to the sea, stop it, and it stops. That's incredible. That's not a power you and I have. That is something that God can do. He can speak to a storm and make it stop. Now he could have freaked out. He doesn't. He gets up, says that. And then he looks at the disciples and basically he challenges them on their lack of faith. Not that they're afraid of the storm, but it's, it's almost the idea of like, do you really think that I, you're my disciples and we're going to start this revolution and, and I'm God? Do you really think that I'm going to let you die out here? Do you think that's how this is, ends? We all just die in the storm? Like, where is your faith? He challenges them that they need to live by faith and not freak out. Now, interestingly, if you look closely at it, it's not that they stop freaking out. They just start freaking out about a different thing. So first they're like, this storm's going to kill us. Then Jesus speaks to the storm and makes it stop. And then they're afraid of him, <laughs> which as you would be, right? Like suddenly, suddenly the forces of nature have been tamed and you're like, oh, oh, this guy. And they've seen him do things. They've seen him heal people of leprosy and cast out demons and all that. Maybe you can explain that away. But when he speaks to the storm and makes it stop, you're like, uh, I'm freaking out right now about who I'm in the boat with. Which tells me at least this. It's not always bad to be afraid. It's not always bad. There's value to it as an emotion that we feel. And in this case, it's okay to be afraid of God. It's okay to be afraid of God on some level because he has that kind of power there, there, should be, there should be some, some healthy fear there of like, whoa, he's God, I am not. Wow. I mean, that is the reaction of almost anyone who has any encounter with God in, in anything close to like a face-to-face. -face. They are like, oh, this is a lot, and he's a lot, and I am not. 
Um, and that's okay. So it's okay that we are afraid of God. In fact, the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? This is, this is growth actually comes from have faith in him. That, that's, that's, an okay, that's an okay thing. So he, um, he, he calms the storm and, and then they are afraid of him. And, and so I just want to ask you this, to think about this now. In 2024, at the beginning of this year, what are you afraid of? What's got you, what keeps you up at night? What, is, it, is it a political reality? Is it um, the, the projections about the economy? Is it relationships that you're in? Is it the thought of dying or someone close to you? And let me ask you this. Is it possible that God could bring peace to you in the midst of all that? Is it even possible? The scripture that we read, and actually um, they they used it in the prayer up here on stage. Uh, The scripture that was read says that, you know, you submit your request to God uh, in Philippians 4, and it will, uh, he will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, What that means is I can't explain it to you, and we're not going to understand it. I can try. But if there really is a peace from God that surpasses understanding, no amount of words I could spill up here will make you understand it and make me understand it. There's just a way God has that when we bring things to him, he can lower our anxiety and give us a peace that we can't really even understand. So a couple ideas with this um, that, I, that I really want us to dial into, and then we're done. Number one, you can't control the storm but you can stay connected to the one who does. You cannot predict the future. None of us can. We sit here at the beginning of 2024, who knows what's coming. Imagine if I'd stood up here at the end of 2019 and been like, 2020 is going to be the best year ever. Whatever your company's projections are for five years, and this is what we're going to do this year, this is our goals, they're all wrong. Whatever they were, they're wrong. We're going to need to be adjusted because we don't know what we don't know. There's too many variables. We can't see what's coming. And I actually think it's a blessing from God that he does not let us see the future. There's probably pain coming for all of us at some point, maybe this year, maybe later. And the Lord in his wisdom does not give me a glimpse of that. He does not let me see it ahead of time. Because it probably wouldn't do me any good if I knew the pain that was coming for me. Probably, you know, there are things coming. I don't need to go out and meet them in the driveway or out on the street before they get to my front door because they're coming anyway. And so I don't know that there's a lot of advantage of knowing exactly all that's coming. Even And I, and I say this as someone who likes to plan and, you know, I've got my control freak uh, streak in me as well. But I, I, we, have to, we have to go, look, I, I don't know the storm that is coming, but my job is to stay connected to the one who does know the storm and the one who can handle it. Um, I, I read the Bible cover to cover in 2023. Uh, there's a group of us that did it. There's another whole group from the church that's doing it now and going through it that started in September. I read it through cover to cover in 2023. And you're sitting there going, well, you're the preacher. Of course, you read the Bible cover to cover. I had never done that in my life. I'd never done a whole year cover to cover read. So it was a, a different thing. And one of the things I noticed is just that there's a repeated theme in the Bible that shows up with all sorts of people at all sorts of times. It's basically this. God basically says to people, I'm God. You're not. I know who you are. 
I made you. I designed you to function and flourish in a certain way. So here's the deal. I will love you and bless you, and you stay within the way I designed you to function. If, but I've given you free will, and if you want to walk outside of the way that I have designed you, you can do so. It's not going to go well for you. So there's blessing when you stay with him, and there's going to be some challenges when you get out, if you step away from him. This is a repeated theme over and over in the scripture, and I, and I would argue that it is still true for us today. It is not our job to initiate a relationship with God. We don't, we don't have to go like, God, if I do X, Y, and Z, will you then love me? He loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loves us. He gave, he gave his son to die for us. Like he has initiated the relationship. What the scripture calls us to do is to keep what he has given us, to hold on to, to cling, to hold on tightly to. This is what Jesus says later in the book of John. He'll say, hold fast to me, or you know, remain in me and I will remain in you, is what, is what he says. So our role is to hold on to what Jesus gives us. And one of the blessings, I think, of staying close to God is that it will function to lessen our anxiety. Like, whatever everybody's going to go through in 2024, we're all going to go through it. Some of us will be able to go to God with it, and some of us won't, because that's not a relationship that we're in, or we've not cultivated that. And so what I want to challenge you is with at the beginning of this year is cultivate that relationship with him and hold on to it. Um, because that will help. Uh, that will help when the things that cause anxiety come. You you will have him to go to. So you can't control the storm, but you can stay connected to the one who does. Uh, the second thing I would say on this idea of being a non-anxious presence, and this might be kind of obvious, but let me just now. There's a couple things there. Uh, some of you are like, "Well, that's my mother-in-law you're describing." So, how much time should I limit there? Uh, that if I limit it, that comes with other problems. Yeah, I get that. It could be that. It could be, um, you know, Dave in accounting drives your anxiety up, or that girl in your history class, or just history class in general, or like. And there's so there are limits, right? You can't, you can't limit everything. You can't cut out all of the haters. There's always going to be some around. You can't cut out all these people in your life, and you can, but that the path that leads to like a loneliness and whatever. So you can't cut out everybody. You can't cut out everything. You can't limit everything, but you can set some limits and you can say, Hey, here are some things in my life that the constant exposure to, I need to, I need to, I need to pay attention to this because the constant exposure here is driving my anxiety up. Let me give you the easy, obvious low hanging fruit one uh, on this. And this applies to everybody in the room. Um, Social media, unquestionably is driving anxiety up for people. It's just, it's, there's so much data on it now for us to look at. Um, and so I, I want to talk about it for, for a moment. There's some studies that are out now because we've been doing this for enough years. There's some studies that have come out that, have, that are saying, hey, we need to look at the data of what's happening. Uh, and I want to point you to these that are, these are about teenagers. And, you know, if you're not a teenager, which is most of the people in the room, you're going to be like, well, that doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you. It just, this is the data they have on, on teens. Uh, we're all experiencing this. Um, we're all in this together. Let's, let's leave that phrase in 2020. Um, here's a graph on teenage depression. Uh, teenage depression, 
since 2010, there's been a 145% increase for girls and 161% in boys. But if you look actually closely, and it's a little hard to read the numbers at the bottom, but it's not just 2010. There's still a slow rise there. It really, 2012, 2013 is when it really starts to pick up. There's something going on there that is driving depression in teenagers. Um, here's one on pessimism. Uh, the rise in adolescent pessimism, 68% in girls and 42% in boys since 2010. Again, if you look closely at the numbers, there's definitely a spike around 2012 is when it really picks up and starts going through the roof, where it had been fairly consistently um, over the years. I don't know how pessimism is defined exactly. I just know a lot of teenagers that tell me that everything sucks. So that's probably related uh, it's probably some people going around, yeah, it sucks, and this sucks, nothing's good, and whatever. Okay, so, um, but what I want you to see here is, and I can show you a lot of these graphs, I'm not going to do this all day, but what I want you to see is 2012 was pretty pivotal. It's about then that you see a rise in all of this stuff and what they're pointing to, and you can look at um, Jonathan Haidt, who's written a ton about this, he he's used to be at UVA, he's at NYU now. Um, what they're pointing to and, and, and talking about is 2012 was the first year that over 50% of the population had a smartphone. And so uh, a lot of things move to this thing that you carry around with you at all times and, and the effects that that's having on your life. And, and so it's like, cool, you can order a car, an Uber on your phone, and you can get Netflix on your phone. That's cool. Also, depression and pessimism and, and these other things. Like, there's some stuff going on that we need to pay attention to. Um, there's a test you can take online by a group called the Sapien Labs, and it's called the Mental Health Quotient. And it's a test, I took it like two weeks ago, and you, it's about, it takes you about 15 minutes to do it if you really want to find out how mentally healthy you are. But it asks you a ton of questions, mostly on a one to nine scale, and it asks you questions like, how well do you adapt to change? you really adaptive or not, or things like that. It'll ask you questions about your childhood. It asks you questions about your sleep habits, your alcohol consumption, uh, how much exercise you get, what your nutrition's like. It's going to ask you a bunch of questions about a bunch of things. And then it gives you a score based on all those factors. Uh, and the scale is something like negative 100 to a positive 200. Uh, and one of the questions in the middle of a test about mental health is this one. I want to put it on the screen. At what age... Did you get your own smartphone or tablet, like an iPad, with internet access that you could carry around with you? So what age were you when you got this device that you could carry around with you that has internet access? For a lot of us who are adults, if you we, if we use 2012 as the marker, the answer is like, you know, I was 30 or 25 or something like that, right? Like some, you were some age when this started becoming a thing. Um, but they, they did this study, and uh, I want to show you the results, and I'll have to explain them a little bit. Look at the results for 18 to 24-year-old females. Now, um, there, there are numbers here that I'm going to show you. At the bottom is what age they were when they got their first iPad or smartphone. On the left is how they scored uh, overall on the mental health quotient test. As you can see, nobody on this scores above a 60 and it goes up to 200. And on the right are the six categories that they put all the results into. Uh, social self, mood and outlook, cognition, mind-body connection, drive motivation, adaptability, and resilience. All of that basically says, and I think we can all kind of interpret that, right? All of that basically says the earlier you got a smartphone, the less likely you are to be mentally healthy as a, as a young adult. That's it. I mean, and there's, there's tons of these out there. There's tons of this. And you go, oh, that's just a, a single factor, you know, one variable. Or like, let's, let's not put our heads in the sand about what's actually going on. There, 
this is a problem and it is driving anxiety for us and so we need to pay attention to it. Something is going on. So what's the solution? You could, um, you could get a dumb phone. Uh, Chris Burkle leads worship up here. He's got this flip phone. It's, it's awesome. Um, I, I, love his, I love his dumb phone and all of its dumbness. It's great. Um, you could take your smartphone and remove most of the apps off of it. Well, then why have it? Well, I mean, just make it less interesting to you. Uh, I, I actually, my, my friend Ryan here, he was telling me a couple weeks ago, he's like, Chris, I took all the social media apps off my phone. And it's been great, except I keep grabbing my phone and opening up, and I just end up looking at the weather app. It's like, yeah, like, that's real. And I think we all know what that means. You're like, I, I got to, but what if, oh, it's just the weather again. It's, it's just, it hasn't changed. Like, it's still that. Um, I think we all understand that. You could, you could do that. Uh, my son, Declan, showed me uh, how to turn my phone into black and white. So it's grayscale. Uh, did you know you could do that on your phone? You can make your phone just show up all black and white. It is surprisingly less interesting without color. You, you'll be amazed how boring it is when you open up. You're like, oh, it's black and white. I just, it's like, you know, what am I, what am I watching? Citizen Kane here? Like, this is ridiculous. It's just old. Like, I don't. So um, that's something to pay attention to uh, is how are we using these things and are there ways we can make them less um, addictive and, and, and not have such a, a, a hold on us. Um, I, this is the year I actually, uh, I, I tried to scale some things back. I got off Twitter, and one of the things I, I got off Twitter while it was still called Twitter, and one of the things I found out about that is now I don't know everything everywhere all at once. I just don't know all the things anymore. And uh, I got to tell you, there's some bliss in that ignorance, that's why they say ignorance is bliss. Like, not knowing everything all the time and what to think about it and who's thinking what and what they're saying and all that, like not knowing that stuff all the time. And I would tell myself, I need to know this because I'm a pastor and everybody's following this stuff and I need to track with it. Man, I learned fairly quickly, and you've probably learned this if you've tried it too. If it's really important, somebody will tell you. Like, with their mouth, they'll say it to you. <laughs> they're like, this happened. Oh, okay. And, and it, there is some bliss. There's some, it lowers the anxiety when we step away from, from that stuff. Um, I, I, I talk about digital engagement a lot in this church, uh, and I, I, it affects me, and it affects you, and it affects our culture, and we need to be aware, and we have to be hyper-vigilant about it. I grew up, it, this actually reminds me of cigarette smoking, like back in the 50s, right? If you see an old TV show or movie, they're, they're, everybody's smoking, right? Like in, and in the 50s, it's like, you see these shows and like you go, someone goes in to see their doctor and their doctor's like, well, you know, let me just tell you. And they're like, you, you've got cancer. I'm like, you're smoking. Like, what do you think? How do you think that's going to go? Like, it's weird, right? When we go back and we watch this. I grew up in the 80s. Like, everybody smoked. Like, uh, you know, my parents, like, it was just a lot of people, a lot of adults smoking. And uh, we knew hey, this isn't very good for you, inhaling smoke. Like, we had studies on that, like, back in the 40s. Do you know how long it took the federal government to come down on cigarette smoking after we knew in the 40s that it's a problem? The 90s is when they started passing laws about, like, eh, Surgeon General says this isn't good for you. 50 years between when it became a thing and everyone's doing it and, it, and then it becomes, like, federally cracked down on. And people who smoked back then said things like, I mean, I just enjoy it feels good. I, I, it, and you might say like, oh, you know, other people have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. It's all the things we say about phones right now. Ah, it's, yeah, but it's not a, it doesn't control me, you know. 
um, man, we need to pay attention and, and not wait for the, some government, to, some Surgeon General health warnings data study to come out, one more to come out to tell us that, yeah, we need to pay attention to what's going on here because this actually isn't good for us. I listened to an essay about a week or two ago from a teenage girl. Uh, she wrote this essay, and it was an essay to her fellow teens. And it was uh, basically how to help them be more mentally healthy. And one of her points, she had five points, and one of her points was um, put down your phone is what she was telling her fellow teenagers. Now, this girl was very interesting, very nerdy, and, and, and had some peculiar things, but she made some great points. And she said, um, she said in our house, we have a word, when we, we talk about the phone, we, we refer to the phone as the machine for feeling bad. And I was like, that is brilliant. Like, I love that. And so I'm going, and, you know, anxiety-inducing, I'm going to put it on the home screen of my phone for this year, and it's going, when I open up my phone, I'm go, it's going to say, this is the machine for feeling bad. And then it's going to have Philippians 4 on there as well. Um, I, I, I told Rachel, I was like, we got to get this so everybody can download this. So I will, we'll, we'll send that out tomorrow if you want to download that and have that on your phone. Just as a reminder that this is the machine for feeling bad. And there's data to, to show that that's actually what is going on. So we need to pay attention. It may not be smartphones for you. It probably is. But whatever it is that drives your anxiety up, we need to notice it and limit our exposure to it. And finally this, we need to cultivate the habits that drive ha- anxiety down. Now this should be obvious, right? And there's the obvious ones I could tell you. Oh, you should get more exercise. Does anyone think they should get less exercise? No. We would all benefit from maybe a little more. You should move around a little bit, right? You should get more exercise. You should get in the sunlight more. Get some vitamin D in your skin. You should eat better. You should probably eat better. You should get more sleep. Like, sure. Uh, easy, obvious. I have thoughts on all those things. But I want to point us to the spiritual disciplines as well as a way for us to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. Um, because I think you can eat all of the kale and still go crazy and still, like, not, right? So um, this is where I want to go back to Paul's writing, Philippians 4. Listen to what he says. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. And then he tells us what to do. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a great verse. If you're going to memorize a verse of the Bible, memorize that one. That should be on a coffee mug, right? A, bi- a big coffee mug. It's a lot of words. Uh, but I'm also like a lot of coffee, so I'm fine with that. Uh, don't be anxious. Instead, he says, everything with all you have, with all the things that are driving your anxiety, take that to God in prayer and supplication, which is presenting requests. And he says, with thanksgiving. So show gratitude. How many people, not even in the church, how many people right now are writing about how you should have a gratitude journal and you should write on things you're thankful for? I, I believe in that. And so, uh, but as a spiritual discipline, present all your requests to God. Make that your habit to help drive down anxiety in your life. Is whatever it is, you take it to him. Uh, I, have a, I have a practice that I've been doing for some years. I call it RPM because it's easy to remember. Read, pray, meditate. Uh, read the things. Uh, re- every morning, it's read, pray, meditate. Read the scripture, say a prayer, and then meditate, which sometimes uh, looks like just a, a quiet breathing thing, and, and other times it looks like taking a scripture and just kind of chewing on it over and over and say, okay, what, what does God want for me from that scripture? Read, pray, meditate. Um, that's a thing you can do, and it can help center you to be non-anxious in an anxious world. So as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you, what is it causing you anxiety right now? What are some things you could limit your exposure to to help drive that anxiety down? 
and what are some practices that you could pick up that would help also drive that anxiety down. Now, next week, we're going to get into the fact that um, we can do these things in a vacuum, but once we are involved with other people, they can drive our anxiety up quite a bit. And so what does it look like for us to be uh, a bit differentiated from other people and to stand on our own two feet when there's a lot of pressure around us? Um, what will that actually look like? And we're going to look at how Jesus does that. Let's pray. God, we don't know what's happening in the future. We don't know what this year holds. But we know that you hold the future and that you're already there and you already understand it and you exist outside of time the way we understand it. So, God, um, we start the year out by saying we are going to trust you, that we are going to trust that you've got this, that you have a plan, that you are in control. That doesn't mean, Lord, and we know this, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out exactly the way we want, um, but that whatever works out and whatever happens, you have a way of making it work for our good, even though it doesn't always feel that way. So, God, we trust you. Um, God, may, may we be this year people of faith who are going to rely on you um, in the midst of the storm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.